Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Amen. Oh, this is loud. We're live. Can you turn it down a bit? Don't want to scare anybody. Good morning. It's my privilege to be with you this morning. Just going to get a look at everyone here. Lovely faces. Thank you for having me. It's a real privilege for me to be here this morning. Let me tell you why. I feel that anytime God um, does something in my life or gives me experiences or teaches me something, it's an opportunity for, for me to share it with other people. I actually feel a responsibility. You know, there's that parable of the talents that we read about. And I think that applies not just to money, but it also applies to experiences and, and things that we get to, um, that God is teaching us. So a real privilege to be with you this morning. The other thing is that I learn the most, I think, as I get to teach and stand before people more than you're going to learn this morning. But I do pray that you would be attentive this morning to what I have to say, because I think not because I, it's my words, but because of what we're going to be looking at. I think it's uh, some really important lessons here for us. Well, yes, I came from Niagara on the lake this morning with my daughter, Keza. Um, that's where we live now. But uh, more recently, we, we lived in Africa. We lived in the country of Burundi. And um, that's a, a little country in Africa that's uh, surrounded by Rwanda on one side and Congo and Tanzania. It's a very small country. It's, uh, but it's one of the most densely populated countries in Africa. It's said to be the poorest country in the world, if you can believe it. Um, so that's where we lived. We lived there for 11 years. Um, Jesus has spent probably more time there than in Canada. And, uh, but, so we did it in two stints. We actually worked with Mennonite Central Committee from 2003 till 2008. Then we came home. And I was pastoring at an MB church, a Mennonite Brethren church in Niagara, uh, for five years. And then we went back and, and spent our time with Multiply. Multiply is the mission organization for the Mennonite Brethren. And so I am currently still working with Multiply. And my role is what we call the regional team leader for sub-Saharan Africa. So if we had a map up here and you, you see where the Sahara is on the top, all the countries below that are considered sub-Saharan. So any countries in that area that we have partners or projects or churches, I am overseeing our work there. Now it's a lofty title, but really I'm just trying to be faithful with what God has given me over these years. Are you with me? And I think that's what we're all trying to do. So if I was in Africa right now, I'd start off by saying, well, I'm the um, husband of one wife. You're used to that, I can tell. People always say that. And I have three daughters. Um, my eldest is Maddie, and my second daughter is Keza, and then I have uh, Avery as well. Um, yeah, so that's what I do. I, I get to work in Africa. We're doing it from here now. We're, we moved back to Canada about two years ago, back to Niagara-on-the-Lake. Um, so I travel back and forth, and uh, we're overseeing... Um, 
our work there. And there's so many good things I get to do. And, and now being home, I get to do other things like connect with churches, like here I am in Zurich. I've never been to Zurich before. Uh, although I do have a connection here, um, I got to know Terry Zare uh, when I was in university in Waterloo. And I don't, Terry, are you here? Terry, come on. I probably haven't seen him since like the mid 90s. So might not even recognize him. Anyways, Terry, if you're listening online. Um, so re yeah, really good to be here. I, I go to back to Africa about four times a year. I was just back, a, 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 when did I get back, Deza? It was like a week and a half ago, I think I was there. Everything kind of blurs. Um, had a fantastic trip. And let me tell you a little bit about, um, first I want to say, you know, maybe the typical thing you hear when you hear about Africa, you hear about all the problems. And the problems are real. And I'd be remiss not to share some of the problems in Africa right now. And the reason I would share them with you is not to say how bad Africa is, but it would be to encourage you to pray. So Africa typically has had lots of problems, but I would say in this, this season we're in right now, there's a lot of places and situations that are even harder. And I would say it's exacerbated by COVID, by what happened and has been happening economically because of that, because of what's going on in Ukraine, because of other refugee situations around the world. There's just a lot of hardship. For example, we have a, a church family that we're connected to, about 40 churches in Uganda. And um, there's um, Ebola. Ebola has shown up in Uganda. Ebola is a terrible disease that kind of eats your insides out. Like there was a movie that was out at one point some years ago. I think it was called Outbreak. Anybody ever remember seeing that movie? And it was kind of like even before Ebola was known, it was that movie kind of is what it is. And it's, it's really awful. And so what they've done is they shut down the region where the cases of Ebola have been found. And the problem with shutting down the, the area is that people cannot uh, eke out a living day by day because that's how they do it. They don't just have all kinds of money in the bank or in their pockets. They're every day trying to get what they need for the day. So now when the government puts these strictures on them and they can't move about, then people literally go hungry. So just a couple days ago, I think it was Thursday, we sent $26,000 to them so that they could just get food. It's hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? In Burundi, I just got a, a note a week ago um, the rains have not come. Usually the rains start in September, and the rains um, have not come. They did have one rain, and it was torrential. Just, and so when it's torrential in Burundi, Burundi they call it, in Rwanda, they call them the land of a thousand hills. So everything is on hills, big rolling hills, sometimes not even rolling, pretty steep. I talked to a doctor one time, and he said the most number of cases of people, of patients he treated were people that had fallen out of their gardens. Because the gardens are planted on these steep slopes. The whole country is like this, and so people have to hole, you know, they're holing like this because they're on a slope like this. People that have fallen out of their gardens. So you're getting a little picture of what it looks like. The rains haven't come, or when the rains come in torrential form, then they, they wash. There's a lot of erosion that happens because the, the land is not terraced. So People are going hungry because there's no food. In fact, they were saying that some kids are mixing saliva with mud, with dirt to make mud and eating it. That is desperate. Ethiopia, we're, we're having a, an urgent relief response in the north. 
where there's been war for about uh, two years now with the Tigray people. It's essentially a genocide happening against these people and millions of people have been displaced, hundreds of thousands have been killed. But there's lots of good things going on in Africa too. God is at work in Africa. I mean, that's a big word to say. Africa is a lot of countries and there's a lot of people on the continent of Africa. But God is at work. And I want to tell you some good stories this morning. So this trip I just went on, I, I visited a few countries. Uh, the first country I went to in Africa was the country of Malawi. We have a church there that was started by a refugee. A refugee that fled his home country of Congo. He's from the east of Congo. It's a very war-torn place. They have called it the rape capital of the world. And he fled from that region when his parents were murdered and ended up in a, ended up in a refugee camp in Malawi. When he got there, he's like, well, there's some churches in this refugee camp, but you know what? We need a church that believes in loving its enemies. We need a church in this place that is seeking reconciliation with those who are different from us. Because you can imagine in a refugee camp, you have people from Burundi and from Rwanda and from Congo and from other nations. And sometimes these people are not naturally getting along. So Safari came from a Mennonite brother in church in Congo. And so he started a Mennonite brother in church in the refugee camp. Now, there are over 70 churches in Malawi. Now, I want you to try and picture this guy coming from a war-torn place to a refugee camp. And I got to tell you, a refuge, refugee camp is not a nice place to be. In fact, it is an awful place to be. There's no food for people. Hopefully, the UN, the United Nations, is handing out some food, but they've seen in this refugee camp in particular, their food rations going down and down and down as more and more crises have come up around the world. The suicide rates are high. It is a place of hopelessness. Try and put, put yourself in this place. It's a very dry place. I've been to that refugee camp a number of times. It's a refugee camp that was set up for 5,000 people. Presently, there are around 52,000 people in this one camp. So how is it that someone can come to this place and not just be overcome with hopelessness, but rather say, there's something we can do? A refugee himself. And so Safari started a church. And like I said, now there's like over 70 churches in that place. So we gathered all of the African leaders that we work with, 20 leaders from different countries, all came to Malawi. We spent some days together, praying together, hearing what God is doing in our country, hearing how God is using them, praying for one another and for our countries, for their countries, and then contending for the good things of God together. We did that for, for two and a half days, and then we took a, a third day to go and tour through Malawi where the church has been doing some really cool projects to see lives transform. I just want to tell you about one, one um, project that's going on, just because I know some anybody here farmers? Do we have any farmers here? One, a couple maybe? And there's lots of farming around here. So this is a cool project where every year in Malawi, there's a drought and people suffer deeply every year, around this time generally. So what they're doing is, and this is some um, technology that came from Canada actually, they'll drill a deep borehole so they have access to, to clean water 
and the, the holes are pretty deep, the wells. Then they'll build a tank um, up and put it on a tower, and then they have a solar pump that will draw the water up to the tank. From that tank, then, down on a, on a lower plateau, they'll plant a garden. And in the garden, they're teaching people how to multi-crop, how to rotate crops, how to plant crops at different times so that they have crops coming all the time. Seems pretty normal, right? Pretty basic. And then from that tank, they have um, an irrigation line going down to the garden, and then drip irrigation. Of course, you know, drip irrigation, it just uses a, a small amount of water. So with a small amount of water, they can water this whole garden, and people's lives are transformed. Then, as the local community sees this garden, sees this drip irrigation technology, and sees how to plant crops differently, how to rotate crops, how to multi-crop, then they get ideas. Then they'll do some teaching of the surrounding population. They do some teaching about this kind of farming. Then, some money comes from Canada, and they are given a pail kit. So a pail kit is about 20 pails, along with some drip irrigation pipes. In their little backyard then, right by their house, they will have a little bucket that they can fill with water. Even in the dry season, they can find enough water to fill this bucket with drip irrigation lines going to each of these pails where there's some plants planted. Now, they can plant some crops for themselves and they can have enough to form a co cooperative, which they've done, and then sell the produce to high-end hotels and get a good return for their produce. Are you with me? And lives are being transformed. They're having enough to eat. At the same time, they're teaching them about the good things of God, about a loving Father who loves them and wants them to be used in His kingdom for His glory. Now tell me, this is a win-win situation, isn't it? The whole picture, the whole person being met. So as we took around these 20 leaders to see this project that's going in Malawi, they were inspired. And I heard them saying as they were going back to their countries, mm, I think we can do some of this in our country. So what a great opportunity to steward some of the things that are going on there. From there, I went to visit two new countries for us as an organization. Um, we're just developing some partnerships in the countries of Zimbabwe and Zambia. And um, it was very interesting and eye-opening, but I want to tell you some stories um, right now about two guys I met in those two countries. And you're going to see a theme that's coming through that I want to pick up on, and it leads us into Daniel chapter 6. Great, thanks for reading that entire chapter. It's such a powerful chapter. So the first guy I want to tell you about is a, a guy named Atanas. Now, Atanas... He also fled Eastern Congo from where Safari came from, the guy I told you about already. He fled his home when war broke out. He first arrived in Tanzania, spending some years there, and then he went on to Zambia. In each place, and you're going to see a theme here, Atanas was planting churches like Safari, even though they were in refugee camps. In each place, he gathered the scattered people from his country and from the surrounding countries, Burundi and Rwanda, where they speak a very similar language. Churches were planted. Local people joined. So Tanzanians in Tanzania and Zambians in, Zimbabwe, in Zambia. So now you have um, people from Congo and from that region, along with the local people in the country where they are. 
An invitation also came to him to invest in a struggling emerging church in, in Zimbabwe. And here again, it was people from that same region of Africa along with local people. But his journey wasn't over there. So he's gone from Congo to Tanzania to Zambia. And then, still a refugee, he got a call to be resettled in, of all places, Regina, Saskatchewan. So Atanas left his home in Africa, which was not really his home because he kept getting moved around, and he now lives in Regina. In Regina, he started gathering the scattered people from Africa once again, and he formed a church. They needed a place to worship, and they found a home in Parliament Community Church, a Mennonite brother in church in downtown Regina. So that's where they meet right now. The Canadians, and Atanas is now Canadian, but the Canadians, the people who were there already, they got to know Atanas and really like this guy. There's something different about him. I think what they saw in him was a, a real shepherd heart and someone whose life is genuinely surrendered to Jesus Christ. The cool thing is, Atanas didn't come to Canada to just kick back and relax in the cold. No, of Regina. <laughs> not my idea of a good time, but you know how our houses are. No, he did not come back just to kick back and have a free ride now. From this new home, Atanas continues to reach out to the scattered and gathered people in Africa and Zambia and Tanzania. In fact, he's there right now. But also, every night, I think it's five or six nights a week, he gathers um, people from that same region of Africa who are now scattered all over the world on a Zoom call. I've been on these Zoom calls three hours long, five or six nights a week. And people from Finland and Belgium and Australia and different parts of Africa and Canada and the USA all joining onto this call because they want to hear what God has to say to them. Because Atanas has a, a heart for them and he wants to see them not just survive, but he wants to see them thrive wherever they are. His message to them is, you are sons and daughters of the king. Your identity is not as a refugee. Your identity is a child of the, of the living God and you have a purpose to fulfill. Are you with me? Atanas is 62 years old, and he's not stopping. He's, I think he's just actually getting going. So we're forming a partnership with Atanas and seeing how we can enable him to do more as he reaches out to all these people from Congo. Let me tell you about one other guy, Jean-Pierre. I just met Jean-Pierre for the first time on this trip. He lives in Zimbabwe right now, but he also is from Congo from the same region as the first two guys I talked about. He fled Congo also during war, and he also ended up in Tanzania. And it was in Tanzania that God met him for the first time. He became a believer. He, right from the beginning, wanted to give his life fully to the Lord. So he got involved in church. He was able to go to a Bible school in the refugee camp, and he became one of the church leaders. But it wasn't very long afterwards that he uh, felt God calling him to move on. He went on to the country of Mozambique, again as a refugee, and he began a church there. And 
momentously, he was able to build his own house. This is really a hard thing for especially a refugee to do. But as he finished up his house, coming to completion, he felt the Lord saying to him, you're going to need to move on. I want you to move on. For days, Jean-Pierre could not tell his wife. He, could, he knew how it was going to go down. Finally, he got up the courage and told her, I think the Lord is telling us to move. We had just finished the house. She thought, yes, he's lost it. He's gone crazy. And so did everyone around him. How could you, how could you possibly do this? But, and he tried to hold back for, for some weeks, but he knew they had to go. So they packed up their stuff and they trudged on. They felt they found someone who was moving to Zimbabwe, who was going there, traveling there, and they were able to jump in with them and travel to the border. As they crossed the border at nighttime, they got caught by the border people. Now, typically, or um, legally, as refugees, you can have passage. The UN has rules that people can pass through countries and then get to a refugee camp. But these border guards said, you cannot go. They put Jean-Pierre in handcuffs and um, were telling him he, was have to, he would have to go back to his own country. But for him, he was clear that God had called him there. He felt a boldness rising up in him. So he says to the border guard, now get this, think about this cheekiness. He says, I have some conditions for you. He's talking to the border guys. Yes, I will go back if, one, you take off my handcuffs. Two, you carry our things for us back across the border. They said yes. Put the handcuffs off, escorted them across the border. By now it was nighttime and they had to sleep on the other side of the border um, outside, him and his family and some others that were with him. They slept there for the night. As he was sleeping or trying to sleep that night, he knew they had to try again. That God was calling them to Zimbabwe. In the morning, he told his family and the others, we're going across again. They picked up their stuff. They went across the border. As they reached the Zimbabwe side, the border guys were incredulous. What are you doing here? You just took off your handcuffs, carried your things across, and you're here again? And all Jean-Pierre said to them is, I need to see your boss. So they took him to the boss, and the boss said, sure, I'll drive you to the, I'll take you to the refugee, I'll take you there myself to the refugee camp. Took him to the refugee camp. They set up shop. Um, Jean Pierre started working with churches there, and now he is the leader of the church. When I was in Zimbabwe just uh, two weeks ago, uh, Jean Pierre was telling us that he just got a notice that he will be going to the U.S. He's getting resettlement there. Jean Pierre is not going to the U.S. to live an easy life. If you were to meet Jean Pierre, you would know what I'm talking about. You see a fire in this guy. He is going to be a missionary, just like Atanas and like others. He is coming to be a missionary to us because his life has been surrendered, because he has been saying yes to Jesus again and again. And that has brought him to this, the point now where he is ready to serve the Lord in, once again, another country. Why am I telling you all these stories? Both of these men and Safari, and like others that we work with in Africa, there's so many that are displaced people. These are men and women who are not 
considering their personal safety and security first. It is not their highest goal. And they have been forced to realize that, that this world is not their home. Are you with me? If we were in Burundi, I would say Turi Kumwe, which means, are, you, are we together? And then I would want you to say Ego, which means yes. Okay? So if I say that again, Turi Kumwe, you're going to say Ego, which means you're with me. I just want to make sure you're not falling asleep or, you know, that I'm actually yeah, making some sense here. This brings me back to the story that Greg read to us this morning about Daniel. Because you see, Daniel was also in a country that was not his own. He wasn't a refugee. He was in, in exile. But it's, it's kind of a similar situation. It's really important that we, as we think about this story, we've heard so many times Daniel being thrown to the lions, that Daniel was in exile. He was not from that country. Daniel was from a people that they had overcome. He was not from that people group. And now, and they say that he was probably in his 80s at this point, Daniel was being elevated to the second in command of this whole nation. Are you with me? This is staggering. It says in verse 4 that the locals didn't think he should rise. They were jealous. But it says that Daniel, they could not find anything on him. In my version, it says they could find no corruption because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. You see, Daniel had a different outlook on things. He saw differently. His goal wasn't power. That's not why he was doing that because what happened? As soon as that decree was made, what did Daniel do? Did he capitulate and say, oh yes, I will just, you know, for these 30 days, it's okay if I just worship the king, God won't mind. No. It says he immediately went to his home, got on his knees, looked towards Jerusalem, and he prayed. Daniel was seeing differently. He had a different perspective. His goal was not power. His goal was to serve his God. Incredible. He was undeterred and uncompromising. You know, I actually took a, a visit to a lion park just two, two weeks ago in, in Zimbabwe. And lions are scary. When you hear a lion roar, it's like, my goodness, like that is a noise that I would not want to meet a, a lion in the wild. And I was just marveling with some of the Africans who were with me, who some of them had never seen a lion before, at the size of the lions. Like, they're almost as big as a horse sometimes. Daniel gets thrown to them. That must have been kind of scary. But Daniel was uncompromising. But you know what? Equally amazing was the reaction of the king. Now remember, he's the king. He was a big king. He was, they had overtaken nations and he was the one in power. And Daniel is in exile. He should not be there. He's from another nation. But what does it say about the king? He was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel. He made every effort. He spent the night without eating or entertainment. He could not sleep. The king is losing sleep over one person. This is not normal, my friends. For Daniel, a refugee and exile. 
And as we know, Daniel was saved. And more importantly, a nation was transformed by one guy's obedience, by one man's yes to Jesus. Are you with me? And this, an exile, a refugee, someone who was not even supposed to be from that place. Someone we might say was a, a simple person. It's an incredible story. Darius says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reference the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Wow, I love this story. Listen, my friends. I don't know how you're feeling about yourself this morning. Maybe you come to this place saying, I'm just a simple guy. I'm just a simple person. How can God use me? You know, there's that thing that happened to me back in the day or, or is that, that thing that I did at one point or maybe you're saying I don't really have education or I just live in Zurich. I don't know what you're saying. Maybe you can identify with any of that. But it's not true. Because the reality is, is that each and every one of us, as we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of the living King. And the success of Daniel can be any one of ours success. The work of Atanas and Jean-Pierre and, and Safari, that can be any one of our stories on a daily basis. The important thing to note though, my friends, is that Daniel's victory over Darius and those bad guys and the lions was not a one-off situation. He didn't just come to this, this situation and suddenly he had this amazing ability to just say yes to, 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 to God and no to the decree of the land. You see, Daniel had been saying little yeses to God along the way. Right? Starts right in chapter 1 of Daniel. Daniel is just a new exile along with his buddies. They're offered the food of the king. It seems like a pretty small thing. You can take a little wine. You can take a little um, nice foods, fatty foods. I don't know what they were. Maybe it was pork. And Daniel and his buddies said, no, we're not going to do it. And at first they were really unhappy with him. But it was proved their actions were proved. As they said yes to God, God said yes to them. And as they continued to take little steps of yes, the steps got bigger. And the yeses got bigger. To the point where Daniel was able to say yes to God with the lion's den. Are you with me? Little steps. Little yeses to God that he calls us to. I think we're almost out of time here. Um, Paul's second letter to the believers in Corinth is, uh, is hugely instructive in this thing. I, it's, you know, you could spend hours studying first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not going to go into it right now just because of time. But he t he's talking about suffering. And he's really acknowledging that we are going to go through suffering. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. 
There's a message out there that says you should not have trouble in this world. That you should get angry or upset when bad things happen to you. I don't think that's actually the way it is. I don't think that's the biblical narrative. What I read is, you will have suffering. But when you suffer, God will provide comfort. And why does he provide comfort? In part, so that we can comfort others. We have a responsibility, even through our hard times, to step out in faith, to say yes again to God, so that we can also be a blessing to other people. And Paul goes on in that chapter to say something that's so profound. He says, um, as he's talking about suffering, he talks about going to Asia, and he says our time in Asia was so incredibly hard. In fact, we were so oppressed, we thought we were going to die. But then he says, but this happened. Why? So that we would not depend on ourselves. So that we would not rely on ourselves. My friends, this is the point. When tough things happen to us, when challenges come our way, how do we react? Do we get angry? Do we say, this shouldn't be happening to me? Yes, we grieve. Yes, we mourn. We cry. And that's normal. But we say, God is still with me. God is still with me. And he invites me to take another step of yes to him, to trust him that he does have my best interests in mind, that God is still working, that God would even use these circumstances to make me more like him, that I would rely on him, depend on him in greater measure because that is a kingdom value that God is contending for in us. Are we together? You know this stuff, but you know what? If you're like me, we gotta be reminded. We gotta be reminded. Because every day you're gonna walk out of this and something challenging is gonna happen. Maybe it's your kids. You're like, you know, if you really assessed your feeling right now, it's like, oh man, I don't know how to deal with this with my kids. I challenge you. God wants to turn it into an opportunity, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Ask God, God, what is the opportunity here? What is the discipling moment that, that is here for me now? Or whatever that, whatever else it is in your life. Maybe it's questions about your future, young people. What am I going to do? Don't fix it on yourself. Focus on God. What does God want for me? God has a plan for me. Keep taking the little yeses. Say yes to God each step. He will take care of the rest. I promise you. Every one of us, every day, during every one of our weeks, we've got situations where we can say yes again to the good Lord. These refugees, the ones I talked about, Safari, Akhenar, Jean-Pierre, they could be sitting in their little mud hut in the refugee camp saying, can I survive this? Can I make it? It's going to turn out okay? Or they could step out in faith like they did and say, wow, my God is bigger than this. My God has a plan for me. 
my God is preparing an eternal home for me that's coming. And so right now, I'm going to be part of contending for fighting for his kingdom. My life has a purpose. I am not just a survivor. I am going to thrive. I am not a victim. We are not victims. We are invited to participate with God in his purposes in this world. We are more than overcomers through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, my brothers and sisters, like my African brothers that I told you about and their families, their wives, I call you again to this overcoming way of being, to saying yes to God. It says in the Bible, um, the passage right now, Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, faith is not just the yes we said to Jesus at one point. That's the beginning point. But it's the yes, the day, the day, the day. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself with, a, with expressing itself through love. Without faith, it is impossible please God. My brothers and sisters, yes, let's say yes again to the good Lord. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. So I ask you once again, what are the areas of our lives this morning that are causing, causing us concern, worry, anxiety? Challenge us all to seek to give these to God again. To God, I believe you. I trust you. I ask that you would turn this around for your glory, for your name's sake. So God, I pray for all of us this morning that you would stir in us again, renew in, in us again faith that you are the King, that you are the King, and that you call us your children. Father, you have called us to be salt and light in this world. And I pray that we would walk in that, walk in that reality. Would you give us the strength and the courage today to say yes in the area that you're stirring us, even right now. And may you lead us on. May we be those who are producing your fruit as we walk through this earth, as we wait for your return. I pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.